This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. This is Trumpet Hour on KPCG. I'm Philip Nice. Is Bible prophecy happening now in Yemen? We'll talk to a trumpet writer who thinks so. And when you look at all of the news happening in America, how do you know what to look for? The Trumpet's Anglo-America Watcher will help you narrow it down. And does evil exist or does it not? All of this is ahead on Trumpet Hour. Hello and welcome to Trumpet Hour. We appreciate you joining us this 19th day of April. Today we'll look at a corner of the world, a corner of the Arabian Peninsula that could suddenly become the center of attention on your nightly news. We'll get a Bible Prophecy in America 101 lesson, and we'll remember what dominated the news on April 19th in the past. Now we turn to Mihailo Zekic. He joins us from our office and studio in England to talk about a major ongoing development that is getting buried in the news for most of us, but he's kept his eye on it. Uh, Mihailo, what's been going on there in the Middle East? Let's let's take a little bit of a deeper dive into this particular topic. Sure. So as I'm sure most of our listeners are well aware, the Middle East is a place where a lot of... Uh, a lot can happen in a very short amount of time, and it might be in a corner of the world where you might not think it impacts North America or Europe or wherever, but anything that happens in the Middle East, it's like a pebble that gets thrown to the pond and then the ripples grow out. Things can change on a dime in the Middle East, and it has impacts all over the rest of the world. And that's the case with one particular country. It may not make the news as much, say, as Syria or what's going on in the Persian Gulf, but it's a pretty important part of the world to look at in its own right. And I'm talking about Yemen. For our listeners that may not be aware, Yemen's a an Arab country sitting on the southwestern end of the Arabian Peninsula where the Arabian Sea and the Gulf of Aden meet with the Red Sea at its narrowest point, the Bab el-Mandeb Strait. It's just a stone throw away from the continent of Africa. And since 2014, they've been having a civil war there. Now, Yemen for a long time was actually considered one of the very few Arab states that was a functioning democracy. But like anywhere else in the Middle East, when you have a functioning, stable democracy, it might be good for people's rights, but it's not necessarily the most well-equipped country to uh, successfully stop uprisings and, and militias forming and that sort of thing. And that's exactly what we saw in Yemen. There's a, a rebel group called the Houthi Movement that it's a, a, a Shiite Islam movement. There's two different variants of Islam, Sunni and Shiite. Most of the Arab world is Sunni. In this case, these guys are Shiite, and they're hoping to overthrow the democratic Yemeni government and control large swaths of the country already, including the capital, Sana'a, um, the current government's headquartered in a different city right now. And they want to turn Yemen into an Islamist theocracy. Now, what's most significant about Yemen, well, there are two things. One, you have on the other side of the Middle East, the Islamic Republic of Iran, which is 
a also a Shiite country. It's the largest Shiite country in the world, and it's also the main, shall we say, exporter of the Islamic Revolution around the world, and especially the Middle East and Africa. They had their tentacles all over in places like Egypt, in uh, the Horn of Africa, in Iraq, especially Lebanon, etc. And they've been the biggest sponsors of the Houthi rebels. They officially deny that they're sending them weapons or that kind of thing. I mean, their weapons smugglers get caught by uh, by outside policemen or le- like the United States playing the roles of policemen all the time. So they're in that. And the other thing is that it directly borders on its northern border, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, it is a conservative Muslim state, but they also have their problems of Islamic extremism and are trying to stop that from sneaking in. And the Houthis for a while, for years have been sending missiles into Saudi Arabia. And of course, it directly borders the country, so it directly impacts the country that way. And the Saudis responded by sending their own troops on the ground. That's drawn a lot of, uh, given them a lot of flack around the world from their involvement. But so basically you have this proxy war, this quagmire, this country on the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula with the Saudis and the Yemeni government that they're backing on one hand and this Iranian-backed jihadist group on the other. So you've got the two biggest powers in the Middle East, Iran and Saudi Arabia, which are pretty close to each other as it is, and then Iran taking a bold move to support a Islamist group in a country that's bordering, literally bordering, Saudi Arabia. This could obviously expand into a larger conflict. What's, what's been the latest on this particular rivalry? Well, perhaps surprisingly, it looks like it's about to come to a close. Now, the Saudis and the Houthis have had a temporary ceasefire going on for some time now, but there still are... Saudi uh, troops on the ground. The Houthis still pose a threat to Saudi Arabia. They haven't been backing down per se. But on April 9th, the Saudis sent a delegation to Sana'a, to like the capital that's controlled by the Houthis, for peace talks. Now, the talks are still ongoing. Um, nothing concrete, like any disengagements or anything like that, has been settled yet. But they have been bearing fruit Um, The current round of talks, this first round of talks ended on April 13th, and the Saudis got the Houthis and the internationally recognized Yemeni government to go through a prisoner swap, almost 900 prisoners between the two sides. And the Saudis, for their part, released 104 uh, prisoners that they've taken from Yemen uh, from their own part without any apparently uh, concession from the Houthis or like any prisoner swaps from their sides from or of any Saudi people that they'd be interested in a prisoner swap obviously it's a minor thing or relatively minor thing there's again no disengagement as of yet but at the same time it's a tangible sign that both sides are willing to sit down at the table both sides are willing to give a little bit make some compromises and reach a solution now this is actually on the heels last month iran and saudi arabia announced they intend to restart diplomatic relations and According to people familiar with the conversations, this included Yemen's uh, Iran reportedly promised to stop attacking Saudi Arabia from Yemen if the Saudis did their part as well. And none of this would most likely be happening without a previous deal with the Saudis and the Iranians beforehand. But again, there's a little a trickle effect going on here. Uh, the Saudi-Iran deal is leading to potentially a Saudi-Houthi deal now. And we may see this war that's been 
hitting the poor country of Yemen for years now finally wrapped to a close. Iran versus Saudi Arabia in Yemen. Are we looking at the close of almost a decade of war in Yemen? We'll be right back. Welcome back to Trumpet Hour. I'm Philip Nice, and I'm with Mihailo Zekic, a writer for thetrumpet.com who monitors the Middle East. We've been talking about the almost 10-year civil war inside the nation of Yemen and its effect on the two major powers in this area, Saudi Arabia and Iran. Mr. Zekic, this program has emphasized one of those three countries much more than any of the others, Iran. We've been looking for it to increase in its power over the Middle East. We've been watching it closely. And Iran has been supporting those rebels in Yemen, as you say, but now a compromise might be near. Has Iran basically lost this round? Oh, definitely not. Before, you had the Houthi rebels, of course, controlling large parts of the country, but they had few to none when it comes to friends other than Iran. No one else uh, supported them, including the vast majority of the Muslim world. Everybody considered them a terrorist organization. It was one of the few groups that you could get most of the global community behind in going after. And again, because Yemen's in such an important uh, geographic point. With this deal, again, the peace talks are still ongoing. The dust still has to settle. We have to see what the end result's going to be. But it looks like the Houthis are here to stay, and it looks like the Houthis will be normalized, and their presence in the country will be accepted. And the fact that the Yemeni government, I mean, they're just so weak, they don't have the power to be able to successfully push back against the Houthis on their own. That's why they've been having foreign support from the Saudis and from other countries, too. But this basically means, whether people would acknowledge it or not, that the Iranian proxy group is going to stay in Yemen at the border of the Red Sea. So that's right. Again, this program, always watching Iran, always watching whatever small gains or large gains Iran uh, makes, and it's made quite a few over the years that we've been monitoring it. Did uh, did Saudi Arabia just lose out on this one? On their part, we, we don't know what was been trading behind the scenes, but it's most likely damage control. The Joe Biden... Uh, presidency has been very clear in a number of ways that they want to support Iran, just like how when Barack Obama was officially in the White House, they've been doing, they've been helping with the nuclear deal, helping with sanction waivers, that kind of thing. Saudi Arabia can see they do not have a friend in America right now, and Iran's close to getting a nuclear bomb. They're most likely trying to just tie up loose ends and make sure they're on the best relationship that can be with Iran as possible to, uh, in case if there is a larger conflict, they can get some insurance for that. 
So we're watching this not just because of Saudi Arabia's future or Iran's, but because the particular location, geographic location of where all this is happening is of significance to many more nations than just Iran and Saudi Arabia, Mihailo Zekic. Very much. Uh, the Bab el-Mandeb Strait is at the, uh, the southwestern tip of Yemen, as I mentioned. That's the other end of the Red Sea as opposed to the Suez Canal, so it connects the Red Sea to the Indian Ocean. About 10% of global trade passes through the Red Sea annually. About In 2018, they estimated that about 3.6 million barrels of oil from the Middle East a day moves north from the Bab el-Mandeb straight into the Mediterranean towards Europe. And there's plenty of other goods and even oil that goes the other direction towards Asia as well. The Suez Canal is useless if you don't have that access to the Indian Ocean and to the Persian Gulf and towards Asia. So it is of extremely critical importance. A stone's throw. It's only 16 miles at its narrowest point. The Houthi, the Iranian-backed Houthi, do have an established position now, as you're saying, or seem to be very close to having an established position in Yemen on that side of the water. Of course, on the other side of the water are an American naval base or an American joint base, Italian base, Japanese base, French base, and Chinese base in the nation of Djibouti, that in itself shows how important this strategic maritime gate is. And yet you are emphasizing Iran's indirect establishment of a presence on this strait. So compared to those powers having bases right on the other side of the water, why do we need to care that much about Iran having an indirect presence on the other side? Well, there are several reasons. For one thing, Iran is not America. Iran is not Italy. Iran is not even China. All these countries depend on the global economy and open trade routes to keep their economies going. But with Iran, their main agenda is exporting their revolution. Being cut out from the rest of the world is a way of life for them. And they still choose to go through this route so they can spread their ideology. I mean, they call the United States the great Satan and Israel the little Satan. They don't like the West and they're not planning on becoming friends with the West anytime soon. What better way to hurt the West, including Europe, which depends on the Red Sea for trade heavily, than to cut off that maritime uh, trade route than to all of a sudden overnight disrupt the entire global system of trade. But the main reason we look at uh, Iran rather than all these other countries is because of Bible prophecy a prophecy that we go to often on analyzing the Middle East on this program is found in Daniel 11, verses 40 to 43. It talks about two end-time groups of nations, a king of the north and a king of the south. Our editor-in-chief, Mr. Joe Fleury, has written extensively on these prophecies and how they apply to today in his book. And the king of the north, uh, you can prove through secular history and um, tying in other passages, it's talking about Europe and a united European power. But the king of the south, putting together different clues, it's at the south of Europe. The prophecy talks about them pushing at Europe. They're pushy, they're provocative, they're king, they control a large area. And Mr. Fleury has pointed to Iran, or radical Islam, led by Iran, as being this king. There are a number of ways that this push against Europe is going to happen. But you read the rest of the prophecy and it talks about some of the countries that'll be part of uh, the King of the South or Iran's empire, or proxy empire, you could say. Some countries mentioned are Egypt, Libya, Ethiopia, 
all these countries that have been experiencing unrest in recent years have been experiencing problems with radical Islam, but also that sit more or less along the Red Sea Mediterranean trade route. And Mr. Flurry has tied in other countries associated with their like like Djibouti, like you mentioned, or Eritrea, another African country there. And Mr. Flurry specifically said that this reveals Iran's strategy, what it's trying to do. It's trying to get control of this trade route from the Indian Ocean, from the oil-producing nations in the Persian Gulf, through the Red Sea, through the Mediterranean, into Europe. It pushes specifically at Europe, and cutting off that trade route would be a huge way to do that. Now, Yemen isn't specifically mentioned in this prophecy, but it's the other side of the gate. If it's going to get Ethiopia, if it's going to get some of these other African countries, it would make sense to have the other side of the Babel Mandis Strait too, especially considering, unlike some of these other countries, Yemen has a much higher percentage of its population that's Muslim, has a much higher Shiite percentage, like the same variant that Iran has, and it already has a presence on the ground, and it controls territory, at least indirectly, through its Houthi militias. So... Even if Ammon's not specifically mentioned, you could take all these factors and apply the principle and the spirit of the prophecy in Daniel 11, and you can see Iran would most likely get control of Yemen to be able to fulfill that prophecy. Mihailo Zekic, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That was Mihailo Zekic, staff writer for thetrumpet.com, discussing the war in Yemen. He mentioned reading the recently updated book The King of the South by Gerald Flurry. And he also mentioned to me the article, Germany's Secret Strategy to Destroy Iran. We discussed Iran potentially using Yemen to block the flow of oil and goods to Europe and Germany, but we didn't discuss, at least not today, Europe's reaction. For that, he points you to Germany's Secret Strategy to Destroy Iran and The King of the South are both at thetrumpet.com. From across an ocean, a continent, and a sea in Yemen, we now come back to the United States of America. This is the home of Trumpet Hour and the Philadelphia Trumpet, as well as a majority of our readers and you, our listeners. I'm here at the Trumpet headquarters in the studio with Andrew Miller. He watches the Anglo-America region. And Andrew, you and I often discuss the news of the day. To try to keep up with the news is like swimming up a spillway. It's just a torrent of information coming at us from all directions. Yeah, it is definitely a common struggle people go go through trying to, like, they want to know what's happening in the world and figure it's like, well, where do I look or what do I look for? Because, uh, like, I make my living reporting the news, but there's tens of thousands of other people around the world uh who also do that, producing hundreds of newspaper articles, hundreds of magazines, several 24-7 news channels. You could easily watch the news all day, every day, 24-7, and still get like only 1% of uh, the information that's available how can you how can our listeners approach the news know what to look for and again just filter it down and make it more manageable and find some meaning in american news yeah well i i do um actually teach uh 
like a part-time elective class on current events at the Imperial Academy here in Oklahoma. And uh, in that academy, we use the same four regions that we do on Trumpet Hour for biblically significant reasons. There's prophecies that actually refer to uh, the four compass points or at least three of the four compass points. The other one you can uh, figure out by deduction. But there's prophecies that refer to a king of the north in Europe and a king of the south in the Middle East and uh, kings of the east. And then the, the missing compass point would be the west, which is just so happens to be where most the nations that descended from ancient Israel reside. And so to make it really simple, we'll get into a little more detail here in a minute, <laughs> Uh, we kind of say is like whenever you hear a news event and you want to know why it's prophetic, probably the first uh, set of four questions you should ask is like, well, how does this news event strengthen the king of the north, strengthen uh, the king of the south, unite the kings of the east, or weaken the Israelite nations in the west? So when looking at the news in the West, in America, you're looking for news items that highlight a weakening of America. It seems like there are more and more abundant news reports to choose from about the weakening of America. Yeah, I mean, you can be weakened in <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different ways. So, I mean, just that, I mean, we've divided all world news into four regions and then uh, determined that the amongst the Western nations, you're looking for a weakening. Uh, and so that's focused our news watching quite a bit already. But there's still so many ways that a nation can be, be weakened. It does require a bit more focusing and probably some of the most foundational prophecies looking for prophetic news in America are contained in uh, what are called the parallel blessings and cursings chapter, Leviticus 26 and Leviticus 28. That's actually God's covenant with the Israelite ancestors of the United States and Britain. According to the terms of the covenant, if you obey my laws and follow these statutes, there's many, many good things that will come. You'll get rain in due season, and you'll defeat your enemies, and you'll have a lot of cattle, and you'll have a lot of agricultural produce, and a lot of children. But if you break those statutes and laws, then you'll have disease, and you'll have drought, and you'll have bad weather, and you'll have foreign enemies attacking. These two chapters focuses in on um, why the Anglo-American region is so important. And I don't just say that because I'm the trumpet news columnist who focuses on the Anglo-American region, but it really is kind of the foundational one because it's like everything that's happening with the king of the north being strengthened and the king of the south being strengthened and the king of the east coming together are curses that God's bringing on the Israelite people for breaking that covenant. If the um, British and American and Jewish peoples would have been faithful to God's covenant, then all these other bad prophecies would have never happened. But it is kind of like these are the moral state of the U.S. and Britain is kind of the hinge point <laughs> that determined whether all these other prophecies were going to actually happen or not. So for our listeners out there who said, did he just say that America and Britain descended from the ancient Israelites? How would you answer that question? 
I did just say that, and I, I definitely meant it. You you heard me right. Uh, to actually go through the historical proof to show that the ancestors of the American British people were at Mount Sinai with Moses when that covenant was made. We'd probably have to do a whole hour-long radio program on that. But uh, for now, we'll just suffice it to say that we, you can write in or call in or email in and request a free copy of the United States and Britain and Prophecy that has uh, a few hundred pages of uh, proof backing up that statement. Okay, so given the the premise that American Britain descended from the ancient Israelites, as you're saying, and that the blessings and the curses mentioned to those ancestors are in effect, are there a few main areas that we can look at to sort of narrow down again when we're deluged with the oncoming torrent of news? Well, if you're if you wanted just three main areas to focus on uh, in a way that's easy to remember. I was thinking about this just before I came into the program, so I haven't necessarily used this before, but you, you could really focus on what um, I'm going to call the three Bs, belief, bankruptcy, and besiegement, which will categorize a lot of those myriads of curses listed in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 and other chapters. Now, the, the first B, the belief, we've talked about a little bit already. Like, if you break God's covenant, you're basically, you're breaking the Ten Commandments, you're, you're not honoring God first in your life, you're breaking the Sabbath, you're uh, killing, stealing, committing adultery, all these commandments, that this is a, a fulfillment of a prophecy that Israel was going to do these things in the end time. So that's a fulfillment of prophecy in itself, uh, but also kind of the contingent prophecy that leads to the bankruptcy and the besiegement. The bankruptcy, our second B, I mean, it's definitely mentioned in Leviticus 26 and 28 about like, if you break my covenant, it's like, you will borrow from others and you won't lend to others and your land won't yield its fruit and uh, and other things that, that show that there's going to be severe economic problems. Uh, in our modern industrial society, we do still have droughts and and cattle dying and explosions that kill 18,000 cows and other things that would have been more familiar to the ancient Israelites. But you also have like stock market problems and, and some more sophisticated economic problems, Federal Reserve interest rates and mutual funds and, and things like that. But that's still leading to just like a general economic cursing, causing inflation rates to go up and standards of living to go down. That ultimately, because America's military power and policing power is based on its economy, when your lack of belief leads to bankruptcy, that paves the, the road for that third B, which is the besiegement. You don't have the tax revenues to defend the Panama Canal and the Straits of Hormuz and the other sea gates. Um, where America gets its goods from, so then foreign nations can uh, levy trade embargoes on you. There's actually a, that's Deuteronomy 28 verses 52 that specifically says that one of the curses is that you'll be besieged in all your your gates. Uh, when you're looking at besieging a continent, you're looking at these sea gates, which just makes the economics problems worse. Uh, people get more desperate, which then uh, inflames 
some of the racial tensions and class tensions and uh, and cultural tensions within the United States, which leads to things like Antifa riots and Black Lives Matter riots and other types of crime and violence that factor into that besiegement. But I, I definitely think, uh, yeah, if you use that acronym, beliefs, bankruptcy, and besiegement, you'll have three of the main ways that uh, those two chapters in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 says the uh, America and the other Israelite nations in the West are going down, even as the king of the north, king of the south, and kings of the east are going up. So it is definitely true that America is suffering something. I think that is not a controversial premise. And you are saying that this is not as mysterious and confusing as a lot of Americans suppose. Americans have historically used the Bible and identified with the ancient Israelites. And you are saying that they actually descended from those Israelites and that the blessings and curses described in Leviticus and Deuteronomy apply to the Americans because they, in fact, are Israelites. You're saying that we are seeing Leviticus and Deuteronomy happening in 21st century maritime trade, the dollar as a reserve currency, race relations, international relations, the power of politics in Europe and the Middle East and Asia. So there is a lot of news for you as the Anglo-America watcher to watch and write about and speak about regarding the downfall of every aspect of American life, it seems like. But now let me ask you this. Is there any hope? This is definitely a, a good question. And if you keep reading in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, uh, it answers that question uh, where it says that, um, like I said, if you break my law and break my covenant and break my statutes, then this curse will come upon you, and then this curse will come upon you, and this curse will come upon you, and this curse will come upon you. Uh, and then it says another sobering thing. It says, and if... Uh, Mr. Armstrong said if, the biggest, biggest two-letter word in the English language. And if, for all this, you do not turn back to me, I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Uh, and that word seven times, it can refer to duration, a duration of punishment. If you, if you actually read the United States and Britain in prophecy, it'll explain that uh, seven times duration is one of the proofs showing that America is Israel. Uh, but it can also refer to intensity. Uh, and so in the end time, the end time application of that verse, it says that if you don't turn back to God after these curses, God ramps the curses up sevenfold. And uh, America is definitely right now in the period of time when the curses uh, of Deuteronomy 20, uh, 28 and Leviticus 26 are upon them. Uh, but they're not quite to the point where God's dialed it up to seven yet. Which means that there is a chance that, I mean, like, if they repent and turn back before that sevenfold increase, uh, then they can avoid the sevenfold increase in curses. If they don't, then, yeah, that sevenfold increase does come. And the Bible is very adamant in many other places that that sevenfold increase, as horrible as it is, will be enough to convince the American people to turn back to him. Short answer to the question is there's definitely hope. I mean, the Bible's very uh, adamant that anyone who survives that sevenfold increase in curses will turn back to God and start receiving the, the blessings of Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 again. 
uh, but but the the question that the the chapter leaves for you it's like is um is that I like are you going to have to suffer those sevenfold increase to definitely turn back to God or will you take action even if on an individual level before that sevenfold increase in curses comes upon you those blessings and curses promised to ancient Israel the historical links leading from Israel to America the warning of things getting much worse than they are uh, these are treated in the United States and Britain in prophecy by Herbert W. Armstrong, as you mentioned. But that book states, and you've indicated that there is reason for the punishment. It's not merely vengeance, but it's a warning. And this is a warning. But this is all obviously something you are going to have to prove for yourself. Thankfully, you can do that at thetrumpet.com. The organization behind Trumpet Hour and thetrumpet.com actually took a huge risk and fought in court for the right to publish that book and give it away free. So take advantage of that. The United States and Britain in Prophecy by Herbert W. Armstrong at thetrumpet.com. Andrew Miller, thank you for bringing that to us. Keep watching Anglo-America for us, and we'll get the latest from you on that region in Trumpet Hour Week in Review this weekend. All right. Thanks for having me. Today is April 19th. You might know that date, might remember it really well. You might not. I'm just old enough to remember it, April 19th. I've only seen my dad be stunned a couple of times. Stunned. One of those times was April 19th. Two of those times were April 19th. Back then, I didn't really know what I was seeing there, watching the news that day. If you're old enough for this date to stand out in your mind, then you're old enough to remember how the video footage was blurry and the colors were off, but that's just how television news was in the 1990s, and the colors on that day were vivid enough. It was not our intention that this compound be burned down. I, I can't tell you the shock and the horror that all of us felt when we saw those flames coming out there. There is a battle between good and evil, between every individual and themselves, you know, between what's right is right, it's Christ, and what's wrong is wrong, that's the devil. And I have to admit doing right in my life and doing wrong in my life. Well, you know what they think of me? They think I'm the Son of God. Wait on me to the day that I rise up to the... Pray. We're hunting for my determinations to what? Gather That I may pour upon them my fierce indignation. At the center of the controversy is a 77-acre compound 
that was the site of the bloody shootout with federal agents this past Sunday. The compound, now called Mount Carmel, was originally named Rodenville and was founded in 1959. What's a gun? Yes, we have guns. They come in here with a gun and they start shooting at us. What would you do? Tell me, be realistic. This is America. This is not Australia. This is not Europe. It's like a hailstorm. Pop, pop, pop. It was just all over the place. I got the rifle out. I had a handgun. We just got shot at! Who do you believe fired first? I'm quite convinced the agents fired the first shots. Got like six rounds. We were expecting to get killed at any moment. The standoff has been going on about 45 minutes now. There are at least two injured officers, possibly more. FBI authorities say the situation is taking a turn for the worse. There are 95 people inside, of them 17 below the age of 10. That place is on fire. Maybe they set it on fire themselves. The lookout tower is uh, engulfed in flames. Flames, as you can see, just pouring out. And I think those of us who have watched this certainly did not expect this. April 19th, 1993. On the television, there was this building or this sort of group of buildings, and it was raging on fire. Smoke black as tar and brilliant, bright, deep, deadly orange underneath. If you saw it, then you can probably see it right now even if you were 10 years old. You might have seen a building on fire before, but this was something else. I still can't quite comprehend it. There were 85 people in there. Nine adults came out. 48 didn't. 28 children didn't. And those people chose to be in there, chose to stay in there. Because they believed a maniac, a demon, quoting the Bible, violating the Bible, violating the women, violating the children, telling them all of it was the will of God. He gripped their minds and they willingly died for him. David Koresh. One of the worst things physically, constitutionally, mentally, spiritually to happen in the United States. One of the worst people to happen to the United States. One of the survivors, I saw an interview that he gave 26 years later. He seems like a nice, quiet, obviously traumatized man who has to take long walks to try to clear his mind. 26 years later, he still believes that that drifter, criminal, pervert, predator, manipulator, monster, David Koresh, was the servant of God and will miraculously return. Does evil exist? And then as you're looking down on this scene, as you're looking down on this scene of this this fire, this building on fire, uh, outside, all around the building, there are 10 light tanks, two actual main battle tanks operated by the FBI, four other military vehicles, three military helicopters, 900 agents and officers and deputies and rangers and guardsmen and pilots and soldiers. 
and flying on the tanks in front of this inferno is the American flag. What a horror show. What every, everything was everything was wrong about this. What a horror show of a horrid religion and yet a horrid siege by the federal government on its own people. And people woke up to this kind of evil can happen, uh, not only to people gripped by the, this this kind of deception, but but this can happen in America, the American government against Americans. No heroes that day, nothing good that day. All g- even the good intentions twisted and manipulated and defeated. That was the Branch Davidians and the FBI at Waco. Does evil exist? April 19th, 1993. April 19th, 1995. People woke up to evil. I remember walking into the room, I think it was later in the day, where we were, but dad was watching the news. He was just staring at the television. It was an aerial view again of a building, but I'd never seen anything like it. The only thing I could think in my brain was what happened to that building. Was anyone inside it? The chaos in downtown Oklahoma City did indeed resemble Beirut after what police believed to be a 1,200-pound car bomb ripped through the nine-story federal building shortly after 9 o'clock this morning. More than 500 people were already in their offices, and at least 50 children were in a daycare center on the second floor. workers worked their way through the wreckage of the Murrah Federal Building, looking for survivors among the close to 200 people believed to be still in that rubble. April 19th, 1995. We remember it well here in Oklahoma. The Trumpet's offices used to be, I think it's about seven miles south of here in the city of Edmond near the downtown, which is a an Oklahoma City suburb. And at 9.02 a.m. on April 19th, 1995, they felt a small earthquake miles and miles and miles away from the federal building that was bombed. If you ever have the opportunity to visit the Oklahoma City Memorial and Museum, I recommend you take it. They have the Memorial Marathon every year around this time. Some of those here participate in that and remember that day with a moment of silence, 9.02 a.m. A rented moving truck, two fuses, and an enormous bomb, and an angry, evil man who is upset about what the government had done in Waco. Did the government make a bad situation far, far worse in Waco? Was it partly to blame for all those deaths? Almost certainly. Did something need to be done after that? Yes. Should you bomb a building full of Americans and their children? Are you insane? You are, you are going to correct a wrong. You are going to improve America by mass murdering 168 people. There is something wrong 
with human beings and not just certain human beings. There is something wrong with human beings. Evil exists among us. Does evil exist? Is there a spirit here? Is there a spirit here? Is there a wrong spirit here? Or are we still stuck on this theory that everything is material? Evil is just imaginary. It's just something we've made up. It's just a construct. What's evil to you might not be evil to me. Look, it's April 19th and evil exists. It's April 19th, 2023, and a lot more evil is existing. And I know you've noticed evil is occurring. Evil will continue occurring on April 20th and April 21st. And there will be another bombing. There will be another twisting and mutilating of people's minds and their bodies. And there will be horrid men doing horrid things to men, women, and children. Evil exists, and we've got to decide, you've got to decide if there isn't such a thing as evil, if there isn't such a thing as good, and if there isn't a God. And you've got to, you've got to understand the truth about who that God really is and get it from somewhere and something you can prove. Not a charismatic man, not a tradition, not some convincing radio show or podcast, but something you can prove in your mind, prove from what you see around you, Prove from a religious book that no man or group of men could have produced. No more evolutionary theory that has aged so badly. Evil is just the interactions of molecules in the brain. If someone is telling you that, believe someone else. Evil exists. Spirit exists. Doing certain things is right. Doing certain things is wrong. And no more just sitting around assuming all these trust the science people and educators and politicians must be right. No more assuming that human nature must be right. Evil exists. And that means there is something that you and I have to do about it. We traditionally point you to something for further reading, so to speak, so I will point you to another book that the broadcaster of Trumpet Hour fought for in court. It's the main book, in fact, that they were fighting for, Mystery of the Ages. It's a guide to that one religious book out there that no man or group of men could have produced. I am reading it now myself. Order it, Mystery of the Ages, thetrumpet.com. Read it next to your Bible, and you see if it explains the Bible and if the Bible explains reality. You figure it out. You decide if you can see where evil comes from. And good. And good. Yes, bad things can happen in this country. Bad things have happened. Bad things are happening. This used to be harder to convince people of, to wake people up to. You are in danger. You are being warned. 
something very wrong is happening. Evil is occurring. Whatever we are doing is not working. Ruby Ridge, Waco, Columbine, September 11th, Afghanistan, Sandy Hook, Uvalde, Covenant. Yes, a lot of evil has existed throughout human history, but this is the evil that is existing in our human history, and it is compounding. It is metastasizing. The evil is spreading. And people want to fight it, but they don't know how. And we aren't defeating it because we aren't identifying it. How do you fight it? You fight the evil itself. And the evil itself has got to be in us. It has to be. We have to have a blind side somewhere. Because if we could all recognize evil as easily as we think we can recognize evil, then we would never be succumbing to what we are succumbing to. You can't spend your way out or vote your way out or compromise your way out. You can't physically attack people. Uh, of course, you don't have godlike power to know who is most responsible for the evil and you don't have godlike authority to physically punish them or wreak vengeance on them if you did, obviously. But you can, you must attack the evil itself the evil influence itself. You do not have to succumb to the evil itself. You do not have to submit to the evil itself coming into your life, coming into your family. And again, don't look for it in just the egregious evils that you hate or that we all hate. Look for the thin edge of the wedge. Look for the evil that you're comfortable with, that I'm comfortable with, that leads to that chain reaction that produces the more dramatic and horrible and egregious evils that we more easily recognize. You have to, I have to, the evil itself, the evil influence itself. And you do have the authority. You can have the knowledge to detect evil influence when it comes into your home and you drop it where it stands. Whatever it is that I have control over in my life and in my family, Whatever little evil, quote unquote, it is that leads to the bad habit, that leads to the guilty pleasure or whatever people like to call it, that leads to the other thing, that leads to the other thing, that leads to the egregious evil, I have got to fight it. I have got to assault it, engage it, strike it, eliminate it, and so do you. I don't have the knowledge in me. I don't have the intelligence in me, the power in me to drop evil where it stands, but I am not surrendering. And I will not indulge in that chain reaction as best as I can that produces increasingly egregious evils. And neither are you. That's the fight. It's not against the people so much as the evil. You've got to stay in the fight. You've got to wake up to the fight. And you're going to need some help.
That is our Trumpet Hour for today. I'm Philip Nice. I'll just say that for that help, do look at Mystery of the Ages, thetrumpet.com. Prove it for yourself. There's only one book that can give you the help you need, I need. And that book is very clearly explained by that Mystery of the Ages. And thank you indeed for sharing this hour with us. I also thank the production assistants, Nick Irwin, Parker Campbell, and Jesse Hester. And I invite you to visit us on thetrumpet.com and email us your thoughts about the show at letters at thetrumpet.com. We do enjoy hearing from you. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. <laughs>